It's 4 o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and I'm with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. I want to say welcome to those of you listening in Colorado on Grace FM. We also want to say hi to those of you who listen on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. And we also want to say hi to everyone who is listening online, wherever you might be in the country or in the world. Welcome to the program. We're so glad you tuned in today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us with your questions uh, at 720-336-0897. So if you have questions about the Bible, anything that's going on in your life that you'd like to talk about, or if you have a prayer request, we do encourage you to call us or text us here at the show. We have three open lines right now. It's a perfect time to call in. So starting last week, uh, I am now hosting every Monday, which I'm really excited about. I'm taking over for Pastor Nate Morris, who was leading the show for uh, for a while now. And uh, I've been a stand-in until recently, and so now I get the opportunity to host every week. And I'm really excited to be doing that now every Monday uh, from 4 to 5 p.m. here on Calvary Live. A little bit about myself. Again, my name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, and our church is located in Longmont, Colorado, Boulder County. And Whitefields meets at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is on the southeast corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue. So actually, it's the, it's the uh, southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park in Longmont. So for those of you who are familiar with the city of Longmont or you live in the area, we would love you to come and check us out, visit us one Sunday. We'd love for you to come and study the word with us and worship. You can check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. And again, we meet at 10 a.m. on uh, Sunday mornings at the St. Vrain Memorial Building in downtown Longmont. If you live in the area or even in the surrounding towns, we would love for you to come and check us out one day or, or check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. You can also hear me every weekday here at, on Grace FM. We have a show called Life in the Field, which airs every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and also Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can hear us here on Grace FM. You can hear me. Uh, we have um, edited portions of our sermons that air here on the, uh, on the station, and we're so excited to be part of what God is doing through Grace FM and getting the word out to the front range of Colorado and beyond where we're uh, syndicated. We have a call already on line one, so let's go ahead and take Brittany from Colorado Springs. Hi, Brittany. Hi. Um, how are you? I'm doing well. What's going on? Good. Um, well, I've been dealing with this for four years, and I really need help. Like, um, I read that Impartable Sin thing, mm-hmm. and then the bad thoughts came at me, and um, it just has been tormenting, and I'm just, like, scared that I'm not forgiven. And, like, um, I deal with acronyms. Like, the enemy brings acronyms, like, words changing, letters changing the words. It's just, oh, it's horrible. It's, like, overthinking OCD. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to get out of it. Like, how do I know I'm forgiven? How do I know I'm going to get through this? I'm just, like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you calling in because that's a, that's a, sounds like a burden that you've been carrying around. Well, but here's, here's the one thing I want you to know most of all. The very fact that you even care about this is a, is a very good sign. And the very fact that you're worried about this 
is a very good sign. Because here's what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about unforgivable sin. It's talking about something that you've done that cannot be forgiven. And really the only thing that cannot be forgiven is to not receive the gift of salvation that's offered to you in Jesus. It's not to seek forgiveness. It's not to seek to embrace the gospel. See, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction in our lives. It's the, the job of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to the Lord Jesus. And so the very fact that you want to come to Jesus, the very fact that you want to be forgiven and accept that gift of salvation, to me that's an incredible uh, sign that you, you're on the right track and that you have not committed this unpardonable or unforgivable sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, can I ask you a quick question? Is your radio on? Because I'm getting a little bit of feedback. No, I turned it off. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I wanted okay. it on, but I, I turned it off. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. Well, whatever it is, hopefully hopefully that stops. But the point is this. I just want you to be encouraged. The very fact that you care shows that you have not gotten to the point of uh, no turning back. Let's put it that way. See, what happens is with sin, a lot of times in our lives, as you sin, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever learned to play the guitar or you've ever done something with your hands, you know, yeah. where you build up calluses. So what happens is with a callus, you know, something like, for example, when you learn to play the guitar, at first, sometimes it, it not only causes your fingers to hurt, but it also can even cause them to bleed. But as time goes on and you keep doing those same movements over and over, you become calloused. And the Bible actually talks about that, that we can become so callous uh, towards sin from, you know, constant repetition, doing it, hardening our hearts against God, that uh, we no longer even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But what it sounds like to me is that you absolutely do feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what you need to be encouraged in is, um, is that... Jesus is holding on to you. And that's really what I would want you to know. That when we feel weak, we feel like we aren't holding on to him, that he's holding on to us. And that's uh, his grip on us is so much greater than our holding on to him. And so um, as far as the other things, like you're saying acronyms and just these constant bad yeah. thoughts in your mind, you know, I believe that the scriptures are very clear that we cannot be possessed. If you are, if you are a, if you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, I don't believe that you can be possessed by a demon, but I do believe that you can be harassed by... Uh, well, I, I don't know if I use the word oppressed, maybe. Uh, I would use the word kind of harassed, that you can be bothered. You can be uh, even tormented. I would use that word, that you can be bothered and harassed and tormented by evil spirits and, and the enemy coming at you wanting to just basically make you miserable and make you question things and make you, you know, question your salvation. And that's where I would tell you it's so important that you keep going back to the Word of God and that you keep seeing in that that it's not about what you need to do, but it's about what Jesus has done for you. It's not about you so much clinging to Him as that you've given yourself to Him and now He is holding on to you. And one of the most precious promises in the Bible for, for people who are struggling with these things that it sounds like you're struggling with is found in John chapter 10 where Jesus says that he's the good shepherd and he knows his sheep and he says that he will not allow any of them to be stolen out of his hand. And I, so I would want you to hang on to that promise that he's not going to let you be stolen out of his hand. So let me just pray for you. And, um, and I think that as we have so many people here listening on the radio in agreement, um, maybe, you know, that just is, uh, is a good thing for us to pray together for that. So let's... Excuse me. Let's uh, pray for you right now. You. Heavenly Father, we pray for Brittany. We ask, Lord, that you would um, 
that you would give her an assurance of your love, an assurance, a sense of assurance, a feeling that, Lord, you are holding on to her and you're not going to let her go. I pray that she'd have a sense of assurance of her salvation. But not only that, Lord, we pray for this uh, this oppression, this harassment that she's under um, from the enemy. We know that these thoughts are not from you, Lord. And so we pray that you would give her deliverance over these things. We pray that they would be gone. And Lord, that you would give her the strength in the midst of whatever trials come upon her, whether they're circumstantial trials or even if it's uh, thoughts and, and things like this. Lord, we pray that you would give her victory over those things in Jesus and that you would set her free from those things. So, Lord, we pray that you would give her the strength to stand up under these temptations when they come. And, Lord, thank you that we have the strength that we can rely on in you. So, Lord, I pray for Brittany, and I just pray for a strengthening of her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you for calling in. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you, too. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Longmont, Colorado, on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We'd love for you to call in. The number to call is 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Uh, again, just a bit about myself. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We meet in downtown Longmont at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, and um, you can also check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. And I'm here on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and every Sunday at 10 a.m. with our radio show called Life in the Field. Um, just to tell you a few things that are going on at Whitefields right now as we wait for those uh, calls to come in, those lines to fill up. Last Sunday, so yesterday, we started a new series at Whitefields um, for the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. What we're doing is we're taking five weeks to look at the five solas of the Reformation. And I'll explain what that is just for a second. So 500 years ago on tomorrow, so October 31st, uh, 1517, 500 years ago tomorrow, is the day when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the wooden door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And that's generally considered the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And what the Protestant Reformation was, more than anything, it was a return to the Bible. It was a return to the Bible, and it was a return to people uh, actually having access to reading the Bible for themselves. And as they did read the Bible for themselves, they found out that a lot of things that were being done and taught, even in the church, were things that were not from the Bible. And so they said, we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to uh, what the Bible says. And they summarized their beliefs about what the Bible taught in what are called the five solas. And the word sola in Latin means only or alone. And so what they said, their five core beliefs, they summed them up in these five statements. They were sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Sola gratia, which means grace alone. Sola fide, which means faith alone. And solus Christus, which means in Christ alone. And then finally, soli deo gloria, which means to the glory of God alone. And so what we're doing at Whitefields this month is that, um, well, starting yesterday and then through the month of November, is that we are going through each of these because they're each biblical things. And so we're looking at them and what the Bible has to say about them and then also looking at, uh, at what they mean for our lives practically. So yesterday we began the first of those. We began talking about this idea called sola scriptura. 
And uh, what sola scriptura means is actually something a little bit different than what I originally thought it meant. I thought that it meant that sola scriptura means that we only use the Bible as our source of what we believe. But it's actually more about authority. So what, uh, what sola scriptura means is that the Bible alone is our highest authority when it comes to matters of life, how we live our lives, and what we believe. And so, it, you know, Sola Scriptura doesn't mean that we reject other sources of truth or wisdom, uh, nor does it mean that we reject or ignore tradition. To do so would be kind of foolish, but what it means is that everything we do, we judge by the Bible. So it means we come back to the Bible and we say, okay, so what does the Bible say about this? So what Sola Scriptura means is that when it comes to what we believe and how we live, there's no higher voice and there's no greater authority than the Holy Scriptures. And so everything must be judged according to the scriptures. So whether uh, our culture says one thing, or society says another thing, and the Bible says something, who gets to decide? How do we decide how we should live, what we should believe, who we should submit to? Well, we would say, according to this principle, that uh, the answer is we must choose to follow the scriptures. So when there's a difference between what the scriptures say and what our culture says or what society says, we must always choose to go with the scriptures. And that second thing is actually taught very clearly in the Bible. And one of the, one of the places it's taught is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And you know, one, one of the questions that I had come up after the sermon yesterday was this question of, well, what scriptures are being talked about there when it talks about that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for these things? Well, obviously, it is talking about the Old Testament scriptures, but here's what I think is really interesting. I think it's not just talking about the Old Testament scriptures when it says those things. Um, because here's why. That book, is, that comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And 2 Timothy was actually the last book that Paul, last letter that Paul wrote uh, before he died. So it was written at the end of his life when he was in prison awaiting his death. Now, by the time that Paul wrote that letter, almost all the books that we have in our New Testament had already been written. Not all of them, but almost all of them. And they were being distributed amongst the Christians, the early Christians, to be read and to be studied in their churches. And that's really interesting. So what that means is that when Paul says, all scripture is breathed by God. He's not just talking about the Old Testament. It means he's also talking about the New Testament. And as you read the New Testament, this is what I found particularly fascinating, is that when you read the Old Testament, you can find proof of the fact that as the apostles were writing these letters and the gospels and these uh, letters to the churches, they understood that God was using them in their time to bring about a New Testament of holy scriptures by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So here are a few examples. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter refers to the writings of Paul as scriptures. And um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul referred to his own message that he was preaching and, and writing to the Thessalonians. He referred to that as the word of God. In 1 Timothy, for example, here's another really interesting one. Paul takes a quotation from the Gospel of Luke. It's something that Jesus said. He said, a worker is worthy of his wages. But that's a direct quotation from the Gospel of Luke. And so Paul quotes from the Gospel of Luke in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and then he says that this is 
scripture. It's what scripture says. So he's referring to the Gospel of Luke as scripture. And then another uh, evidence of this is that in some of his letters, Paul instructs the recipients of those letters to distribute his letters and to have them read in the churches, to have them you know, spread around the churches and read aloud to the churches. And so there in this text there in 2 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy in this text to stick to the scriptures because the scriptures come from God and not from man. And I think it's really incredible how um, my translation, I've been reading recently the ESV translation, the English Standard Version. So some translations will say that all scripture is inspired by God. But what's really interesting is that in the original text, it says, it doesn't just say inspired like we tend to think of inspired, like, you know, if somebody does a really great uh, piece of art or a really beautiful piece of music, we might say that that was inspired art. But it's not inspired in that sense. The, the literal text there, what it means, verse or word by word, it literally means that it was breathed by God. And so I, I love that the ESV translation puts it that way that the uh, words of Scripture, all Scripture, is breathed by God. So what that means is that the Bible is not an ordinary book, but is the very Word of God to us, and therefore it alone is worthy to have the highest place of authority in our lives. So that's what we studied about yesterday at Whitefields. It was a, it was a great uh, time of looking at God's Word and looking at how special the Bible is and the proofs for the Bible being uh, a unique book that's like nothing else that's ever been written. It's also been preserved by God over the course of thousands of years without change. And so we have every reason to have complete confidence in the Word of God. But not only should we have confidence, but that confidence should lead us to seeing God's Word as the very words of God to us. And so we should pay attention to it. We should study it. You know, one of the things that we saw as we been looking at some of the history of the Reformation there is that there were times in history where even having an English translation of the Bible was against the law. You know, William Tyndale was a man who tried to translate the Bible into English in the 1500s and he was arrested for doing so and burned at the stake. And that means that if you have an English copy of the Bible, that that was a act for which you could have been arrested and possibly even killed at some points in history. And so it's a very important thing, a very awesome thing to be able to have access to the Word of God the way that we do. And I believe it's something that we should never take for granted. And so, um, yeah, so that's what we've been studying about Whitefields this past Sunday. We looked at the Sola Scriptura, and this coming Sunday we're going to be looking at the next of the five solas, which is Sola Gratia, which means by grace alone. So we'll talk about that in just a second, but let's go to line one where we've got Laverne in Fort Collins. Hi, Laverne, you're on the air. Hi, I just have a prayer request for a young neighbor friend of mine. Uh, she's 27, and she came down with Crohn's disease last year, and she was very, very ill with it, and she's still dealing with it. Uh, she's also now had it dealing with some pain, and it's serious in her back and that she has to go in for some type of a surgery on her nerves in the back, whatever it is. And the third thing is she's got skin cancer on her face. And uh, this one doctor that she's been going to uh, has been kind of uh, in my thoughts, kind of messing up. And so she decided on her own to go to another doctor. But because it's, uh, it's just... She she, 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 keeps going, she keeps going back to him, and he has to keep cutting more of the skin cancer out of her face. 
And uh, so uh, just uh, she's really down in, uh, about her whole health. And if you could just lift her and her family up in prayer, that would be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Love to do that. Thanks for calling in. Let's pray for your neighbor. Okay. Heavenly Father, we together, just as a community of believers, so we, we join together right now in prayer, even uh, across the airwaves, wherever we are. Lord, we pray for Laverne's neighbor, this young woman who's struggling in so many ways. It's so it must be so very difficult to be struggling with all these problems. So, Lord, we um, we pray for her, and we pray, Lord, for healing from Crohn's disease. Lord, we pray for her back and this nerve problem she's having. Lord, you, we know that you created our bodies, that you are Lord over all of creation. And, Lord, ultimately that you will set all things right. But, Lord, we pray that you would set this right now. We ask in Jesus' name, according to your will, Lord. If it's your will, we ask that you'd heal her from Crohn's disease. We ask, Lord, that you would heal her back. And we pray that if she does go to nerve surgery, Lord, that you would guide the doctors. You guide their hands as they operate. Lord, that you give them wisdom and insight as they look at charts and, and labs and everything. That they would be able to see and discern and ascertain exactly what the problem is and what needs to be done. Lord, we know that oftentimes you do work through doctors and medical professionals so lord we pray that you would work through them for this young woman Lord, we pray for her skin cancer and for the doctors to have wisdom and we pray that you would stop this cancer and we pray lord they wouldn't have to continue cutting out more and more portions of her of her skin especially her face that's very sad so lord we ask that you would uh, just pour out your grace on this young woman and we pray for uh, laverne as she gets to be a neighbor to this woman, Lord, we pray that you would use her as a sense of comfort and a sense of encouragement. We pray that you would give her opportunities to share with her neighbor the good news of Jesus. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I know, I know she, she, she will too. I'll, I'll tell her later. Thank you so much. Awesome. God bless you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Longmont, Colorado, on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. We have three open lines right now. It's a perfect time to call in if you've got a question or you've got a prayer request or you've got something that you want to talk about or share. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That text line again is 720-336-0897. Let's go ahead and go over to the text line and see what kind of text we've had come in. We have one right now that asks this question. How can the devil get people to sin? Are most people sinning of their own volition? Or are there enough demons for each person? That's a good question. It's kind of related to one we had earlier in the in the day where the young woman, Brittany, called in asking about you know, how to overcome this kind of demonic uh, harassment, as we called it. Um, so... Let's uh, answer this real quick. How can the devil get people to sin? The uh, Bible tells us this. In 1 John, it tells us that we have three enemies. Those enemies are the world, the devil, and our flesh. So the world, the devil, and our flesh. Meaning that there's a world system. We live in a system in the world, a culture, and a society, which does not always encourage us to do what God wants us to do. Furthermore, there is uh, the devil in the sense that there is a malicious, evil spirit. In fact, the Bible tells us there are many of them. The ringleader, the leader of them is, is called the devil. 
and the, and Satan, which you know, devil. It means that he is a liar, and it means that Satan. It means that he is the enemy, and uh, then there's our own flesh, and so that's uh, we have these kind of three is a triad of, of bad news, the evil that uh, does not encourage us to do what God wants us to do, but encourages us to sin, and so it, you know it's sometimes hard to ascertain. Okay, you know, is this um. Is this the devil causing me to do it? Is it just my flesh? Am I giving in to the world system? And I don't think that's always clear. And I, But all I would say is this. I don't think it's always the devil causing you to sin. Sometimes it is your flesh. Sometimes it's your fleshly desires get call, uh, causing you to give in to what the world system or, or even your flesh desires, which is not according to God. See, the biggest problem we have is that we don't, it's not just that we sin and therefore we are sinners, but the fact is that we are sinners and therefore we sin. Which means this, the Bible tells us this, is uh, that from conception, David writes, from conception I was conceived in sin. Meaning like from the moment I was conceived, I was broken. There's something broken in me. And that's a very important teaching from the Bible is that there's something fundamentally broken in us. We live in a fallen world, but beyond that we are also fallen people. It means that there's not only evil in the world, evil isn't just an outside force, but the really disturbing and scary part is that evil has worked its way into us it's it's uh inside of us and that's why we need a redeemer that's why no matter what uh we cannot uh get away from sin apart from jesus we need jesus to come into our lives and make us into completely new people to give us a new uh character a new make us into completely new creations and that's what the bible says that he does in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says that you if you are in christ you are a new creation you have been made new at your very core of your being you're like uh, a new creature and so what we need more than anything is for us to have new hearts, to become new creations. And the Bible says that through that, God will give us the strength to overcome any temptation in Christ. And so I hope that answers your question. Thank you for texting in. We've got some callers, and we're coming up on a break in just two minutes here. But let's see. Let's go to our callers first. On line one, we've got Joe in Loveland. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks so much. What's going um, on? I just had a question about pursuing uh, teaching the Bible in like a pastoral fashion, and um, I don't know any advice or verses or um, you know like foreknowledge for somebody who would be pursuing that. Yeah, uh, we're coming up on the break, so if we don't get this whole question answered. Um, before the break, I'm going to ask you to stick around with us for two minutes as we go to break. Just a heads up that that's coming up. Here's what I would tell you. Um, you know, I've heard it said, one, one pastor friend of mine, a mentor of mine said, if you can do anything else, do it. But if you can't do anything else because you feel that you're called by God, that he made you for this, then absolutely teach the Bible and don't do anything else with your life. And I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I... I on the other hand, here's what the Bible says. It says that he who desires to be an overseer uh, desires a good thing. So it says that an overseer in the Bible, in you know, you read about this in First Timothy chapter uh, three, for example. It says that they are a person who is able to teach, and so that's uh, something that's important in the Bible. It also says that those who teach are held to a higher standard than those who don't teach. And so it's something that should be approached with fear and trembling. It's not something that we should ever approach with presumption. 
Um, you know, I think my friend, when he, my pastor friend, my mentor, when he was saying this fact about if you can do anything else, do it. I think, you know, he means that uh, just to say this, that it should be approached with a sense of, of fear and trembling in the sense of that this is a very serious thing to handle the words of God and to present them to people and say, this is God's word to you. Uh, one example that I've heard is this, you know, I, I imagine you're traveling on a train, let's say in Siberia. And, uh, well, actually, we're coming up on the break. Are you willing to hang on with me to the uh, other side of the break? Of course. Okay, I'd love to continue talking with you. We'll be back in two minutes. You are listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie on the air with you. We are going for our half-show break, and we'll be back in two minutes' time. See you on the other side. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady here with you, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0800. Nine, seven. We don't have any open lines right now, but we can always text in. Let's go ahead and go back to Joe in Loveland, who had a question about teaching the Bible. Hi, Joe. You still there? I am. Great. Thanks for hanging on. Hey, so what I was telling you before, I heard this example of, you know, why it's so important to approach teaching the Bible with fear and trembling. And one of the ways that this was presented is like this example. You know, imagine that you're on a train in Siberia and someone asks you, you know, how many stops until I get off. And you say, well, you know, I know that I think at least to your stop, it's about uh, two more stops. So you tell the person, yeah, just get off in two more stops and you'll be fine. So they say, you know, the train goes two more stops. You know, there's huge distances between these stops. Train stops for a second time. The person gets off because you instructed them to. And then uh, the train conductor comes back, you know, and says, you know, hey, where's that woman who was supposed to get off at this particular town? You say, oh, well, I told her to get off at this other place. And he says, well, there was, that was just a stop for water for the train. I mean, there's really nothing there. And, you know, this person's pretty much out in a blizzard in the middle of Siberia in the middle of nowhere. That's a kind of extreme example to say why it's important that if we're going to give someone instruction, that we do so, um, we, we understand the gravity of doing that. I mean, when you're dealing with people's lives and giving them advice about their lives, uh, that can be a very serious thing, and it so it should be done with a sense of reverence, but it should also be done with a sense of privilege. I mean, the fact that God would call a person to speak his word and get to represent him on behalf of, of, of other people, I think, is an incredible privilege. You know, one of the verses that always comes to my mind that always has stuck with me is in Jeremiah chapter 20. And I think it's kind of in line with what I was saying that pastor friend of mine was, was speaking before, um, and where Jeremiah says, I keep saying I will no longer speak in your name and I will no longer speak your word, but I just can't do it. It's like a fire burning in my bones and woe to me if I do not speak your word. And I would just encourage you, man, if that is the sense that you have, then I would encourage you to pursue that. And I would encourage you also to, um, you know, think about Paul. I always think about Paul when he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Like, how could I 
How could I not? What else am I going to do with my life other than preach the gospel? If that's the sense that you have, then I would encourage you to pursue um, teaching. Now, I would also encourage you to pursue it through uh, through channels. You know, th- there's a there's a church that I believe it. You know, I mean the church universal. I believe that God has ordained His church to be the vehicle through which He works. Uh, I think that God doesn't work just in the church. I think he works in individuals as well. But I think that there's something to be said for uh, his work in the church. And so I would encourage you to, I don't know if you're involved in a church that has opportunities for you to grow as a teacher. I know here at Whitefields, that's one of our kind of key priorities is raising up everybody in the church to be capable of being a lay minister, so to say. So we have like, classes like biblical interpretation we have a class tomorrow night on biblical interpretation which basically is teaching people how to teach the bible and study the bible for themselves but yeah so let me just ask you where are you at with that part of it um well i'm finishing up a a different school right now i actually made a decision to go to a school before i came to christ okay and so i got to finish that up but that jeremiah verse is literally how I feel when I think about teaching the Word. It's like a fire, and it's terrifying, and sometimes I actually weep thinking about pursuing it. Um, okay. So, yeah, are you involved with the church? You got a good church there? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm at a church up in Loveland, Colorado, and I actually help teach a youth ministry and a college night as well. Yeah. Well, that's great, you know, and I would just encourage you to continue teaching and continue developing those skills. I think that teaching is, it can be a calling, but it's also a skill. And it's important to see it as both. Um, It's a calling in the sense that God calls a person to be a herald for his gospel. I think, you know, in a way, we're all called to be messengers of the gospel, all called to be his witnesses as believers. But I think there's a special calling that God gives people sometimes to be a teacher and a gifting that he gives them. But at the same time, it's also a skill. So it's something that you want to work at and get better at. And you want to do it effectively because that really is, you know, it's it's not just conveying information, but it's conveying the very word of God. And it's bringing it to bear on people's hearts and minds and emotions and, and wanting them to really feel the gravity of what God's saying and the importance of what it's saying for their lives. So that would be my advice to you. But hey... Joe, that's exciting. How long have you been walking with the Lord? Uh, it's been two years now. Two years. Wow, that's great. That's great. Awesome. Well, let me pray for you because it sounds like uh, God's doing some good work in your life. So, Heavenly Father, we pray for Joe. Thank you, Lord, that you have called him to yourself and taken hold of him, much more than any other identity or calling. Lord, there's nothing compared to being called to be your child and called into relationship with you. So I pray that even as Joe moves into teaching at his church and who knows what you have beyond that for him after that, Lord, I pray that he would always find his identity not in what he does for you, uh, not in teaching, but Lord, that he would find his identity in you. And it would be that relationship that he has with you that fuels him wanting to teach others. And Lord, I pray that he would continue to sense the gravity of what it means to speak the words of God, but also, Lord, that you would, he would have so much joy in doing it. And I pray that others would learn from him and that you would help him to be a skilled a handler of your truth. 
or that brings it to bear on people's minds and emotions, and a person not only who speaks your word, but who lives according to your word. So Lord, I pray you'd lead him in where to study after he finishes this other school, and I pray that you bless his life and his future ministry. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, thanks so much for calling in, Joe. God bless you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You are listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady with you on the air today, taking your calls and texts. We've got a few other callers on the line right now, so let's go straight to line two where we've got Susan in Centennial. Hi, Susan. Hello. Hi. Do you have a question? I do have a question. Um, Revelation gives us a lot of information. This morning it came to my mind, I wondered if the Antichrist um, is a Jew. Mm-hmm. Does he come from the Jewish people and rise up? Well, I'm uh, I'm looking into this right now. You know, my understanding has never been... Um, well, okay, now I'm looking at this now and saying that there are, there are many who do expect the Jew to... Uh, sorry, the Antichrist to be a Jewish person and that they will claim him to be the Messiah. Uh, now, the Bible doesn't specifically say where the Antichrist will come from or what race he will be. You know, I've heard other uh, speculations on that topic as to whether or not the Antichrist will be Jewish or whether he'll be. I heard one speculation that he'll be an Edomite. Um, you know, it's kind of a lost nation of our day, but they were pointing out some verses from some of the prophetic books and interpreting them that way. But, you know, as I'm looking at the text here, I'm not seeing any specific um, indication that Antichrist would be Yeah, I just didn't know if, if because you guys know so much more than, like, us regular people, that you would be able to discern more of revelations that he, he might be a person of Jewish faith, not necessarily born Jew, Mm -hmm. um... I don't know why I thought of it, but I thought, oh, that's a great question to ask you guys when you're taking call-ins. Um, yeah, thanks for calling in. Um, you know, I just I think this is one of those areas where the Bible just doesn't tell us whether he'll be a, a Jewish person or not. Because we're not supposed to know. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why it is. I guess it just, uh, yeah, maybe we're not supposed to know, or maybe he's not Jewish. I don't, hard to say there. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it doesn't say there anyway, except that um, he's called the man of lawlessness, a man doomed for destruction who will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, and he will set himself up in God's temple and proclaim himself to be God. So whether that's a person from within the Jewish community or someone from outside, I don't think we can say definitively based on that text. Mm Mm-hmm. So I just knew that they were moving to uh, build the second temple, or they were looking to redo the temple again, and then the U.S. is moving its embassy into Jerusalem, and I'm like, I thought that thought came to my mind, does the Antichrist come from the Jewish people? Um, Because they really need to be the party that signs up the peace agreement that is... um, breached three and a half years in. So that's all I was thinking. I thought you guys might know. 
Okay, well, I'm sure that a lot of people, you know, have theories about it and speculation about it, but I don't think I can go any further than to say what the scriptures say, and um, exactly. I just don't see a definitive reason to to say that he's he must be Jewish. So okay, but anyway, That's... it's a great conversation, and absolutely appreciate you calling in. Okay, well, thank you, Nick. Okay, God bless bye you. Bye bye. Thanks for calling in. Bye bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Longmont, Colorado, from Whitefields Community Church, uh, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We've got one open line right now. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line three where we've got Evan in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Evan. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor. How are you doing? doing well good i had a question for you here i was um deciding to read the whole new testament recently and i'm in matthew chapter 5 in verse 31 it says um it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce but i tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery and I guess my question was, uh, both my parents have been divorced, and re- they remarried, and that's how I've gotten here. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of them are really just some of the most godly people I know, so I was just curious what your thoughts of that are, If I, I guess if that they would be considered having committed adultery, or what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one that I've uh, I've had discussions on a lot, uh, you know, even just theoretic discussions, but also more personal discussions, kind of like what you're... Uh, bringing up um, here's here's what was happening I'll just give you some historical context and then I'll, I'll answer your question directly the historical context for this is that you know Jesus is speaking to his disciples but he's speaking in the hearing of a lot of other people you know this is part of the Sermon on the Mount this is really Jesus's most famous sermon mm-hmm. and so um, what he what it what we becomes clear throughout the sermon is that he's talking to his disciples but there's a great multitude of people who are kind of eavesdropping on the conversation you know it's kind of interesting picture that here's jesus he's standing on a mountain there's like his 12 disciples and maybe some other followers sitting around in front of him and then all around him there are these other people listening to what he's saying so he's kind of preaching to the disciples but he's also preaching to everybody and so what he addresses several times throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and, and especially in this chapter, is that uh, there are these religious people in his day, and what they were looking for all the time was loopholes. So they would always want to say that they were keeping the letter of the law in every fashion, you know, especially like the Pharisees, for example. The Pharisees were like the most stringent Jewish people in the sense that they always sought to keep every single one of the 600 whatever uh, Jewish laws from the Old Testament. But their hearts weren't in it. And that was really the issue, is that they would be like, okay, well, I'm going to um, do all of these things, and I'll be technically not breaking God's law. But what they were doing was, you could say, unethical, or it was wrong, or they were breaking the intent or the heart of the law. I mean, you know what it's like to have a loophole, right? You're just finding a, a way to get around the meaning of the law trying to so, get around it but still staying yes, exactly good, so I you, guess. you're wanting to break the law but still say that you're technically not breaking the law gotcha. right and so that's what was happening with divorce it's it's actually mentioned throughout this whole section 
right? Especially when Jesus talks about, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. That's in verse 27 of that same chapter. Okay, so what he's saying is like, you you know, God's given the Ten Commandments. You guys think that you're keeping the Ten Commandments because you're not technically breaking the laws. But he's like, no, God looks at your heart and God sees that whether or not you're technically breaking the law or not, you are actually breaking the law, right, in your yeah. heart. And that's what God cares about. And that gets to the point of divorce as well. Because here's what they were doing with divorce is that they were saying, you know, well, there is this provision where Moses said that, all you have to do to divorce your wife is give her a certificate of divorce. So that means that you can divorce your wife pretty much all you want. All you got to do is fulfill the technicality of giving her a certificate of divorce. And so if you actually go back and look, uh, and actually it's even in this text, and you know this is mentioned in the other Gospels as well. And in one of the other Gospels, we get a little bit more of a fuller, I believe, quote from Jesus where he says that anyone can divorce his wife for any reason as long as he gives her a certificate of divorce. So basically what they were doing is they were going back to um, back to the law of Moses and they were, they were looking, okay, what did Moses say about divorce? And Moses had made this provision like, you know, if you have a good reason to divorce your wife, just make, Moses' point was, make sure that you do it legally and right. Um, but what they focused on was, well, any reason, you know, if you, you can divorce your wife for any reason. And so they took this to this weird, crazy degree where they'd be like, you know, if their wife upset them for any reason whatsoever, they would just issue her a certificate of divorce. In fact, it got so bad that they would even just say, well, all you have to do is just say it out loud three times. And that even counts as a certificate of divorce. Hmm. All that to say their attitude about divorce was so flippant that Jesus had a problem with it. And in other places, like in the Gospel of Mark, we read about how Jesus directly addressed that and he, he really uh, scolded them, you know, and, and said, this is not the heart of God. Like, you, you've kind of made this loophole for yourselves or tried to find this loophole so you can just basically do whatever you want. But he says, this is not what God intended. God intended um, for, you know, it to not be this way. He did provide a provision for divorce in extreme cases, but it's not what he intended from the beginning. So I just say that so that you understand the historical context here and that you also understand the context of what's happening there in Matthew chapter 5, which is this. Jesus said, if you've ever been angry at someone, you have committed the sin of murder, right? <laughs> and then he says, if you've ever looked at a, a person of the other sex with lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery. And so I'm guessing between those two, that pretty much covers every single adult person in the world. Yeah. And so when it says that, hey, you know, you guys have tried to kind of loosen this whole thing about divorce, but I'm telling you, if somebody gets divorced and gets remarried, that's a sin too. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what I would want to focus on with you is to say, Jesus is really trying to do one thing, and that is to say, everybody sins. Everybody has sinned. And what he's doing is he's building up this foundation for his conclusion, which is, you need a savior. You yeah. absolutely need a savior, and that he is the only savior. And he actually gets to that point in the, uh, it's Matthew chapter 7, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about following him, and he talks about knowing him, and being saved, and all that. But to answer your question, does a person who gets remarried after having been divorced commit a sin? Um, 
I, th I would say yes, but I would say yes with that provision of what we just talked about, that he's, he's trying to show that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and everybody needs a Savior. Mm -hmm. Here's the other thing I would say. I would say that in the case of abandonment, like so if your spouse abandons you, leaves you, like in the case, let's say, of Paul the Apostle, we, we have every reason to believe that Paul the Apostle was at one time married. Now, he didn't get married again, but if he had, it would seem that the reason why he was divorced was because his wife had left him after he became a Christian. Okay. And if he had been remarried, if in the case of abandonment, um, I would not say that that is a sin. But okay. I, wouldn't, I also wouldn't be dogmatic about that. Like if, if I get to heaven and God says, no, Nick, actually, sorry, uh, that's a sin, I'd be like, I, I'm sorry. So <laughs> I, I just say it with that little caveat there. But, um, you know, I really think the focus of what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians uh, 7 is really important because he says, hey, if you're not married, he goes, I would much rather pursue, I would rather have you pursue Jesus and serving Jesus and loving Jesus than I would have you make it the focus of your life to pursue getting married. Mm -hmm. He says, now, if you, if, you, if you feel that you must get married, that you're burning with passion, well, then get married. But he says for himself, and he recommends it for others, if you can just be wholeheartedly sold out for God, then you should do that. Gotcha. So. Well, cool. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I appreciate you answering that. It's given me a lot to think about. Absolutely. All God right. bless you. Thanks for calling in. Thank All you. Right. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Longmont, Colorado, from Whitefields Community Church. You can check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. And we are coming up on our last 10 minutes of the show. We have one open line for anyone else who would like to call in. Uh, the number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Let's go to Tim in Frederick, Colorado. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the program. Tim, are you there? Okay, let's go ahead and go to line two where we've got Chris in Fountain, Colorado. Uh, Hi, yes, Chris. sir. Um, first off, I, I'd like to thank you for uh, for you sharing God's love and God's grace on air and helping uh, those of us that need uh, guidance and direction, and, uh, and praise God for you, brother. Um, but I have a question. Uh, I'm a Christian man. Uh, I've been a Christian my whole life. Uh, I've been married 22 years to a non-believer, um, and um, there's times, I mean, my whole life I'm on fire for the Lord, and she, my wife, she, she will... Um, do things um, to bring me to fall from grace. Like, don't read the Bible in the house. Um, get that. I, I mean, just, and then we got kids, too, so they're at the, at the they're young adults, so they um, they shoot down everything that I that I try to accomplish in my walk with the Lord. I can't, I can't hear my music, I can't read my Bible, and why well, I can, but, I mean, it's so hard to be unevenly yoked. And so I'm falling from grace. Right now I'm falling from grace. I haven't been to church for a while. Um, I, I read the Bible daily. Um, I don't go have fellowship. I read the Bible daily, and I and I have Christian music at your station, and I listen to you every day. Um, and um, I'm just I, I I my question is, um, I'm evenly yoked with my wife, and there's no way she she don't have nothing to do with the Lord. And and I, I pray, and I've done everything I can to get her to um, to follow the Lord, and to to uh, even if I uh, the light shines through me and I live a, a good life. She said, oh, I'm glad you're changing because I can see the change in you. But she just, she'll, she'll bring me down again. But anyway, I, my question is, I, and I'm sorry for talking so fast, 
I'm, I, I don't believe I can lose my salvation. I don't, um, but my question is, can a Christian lose his salvation? Yeah, I actually answered this. I talked about this last week on the show. It seems to be a very common question that people have. Um, I taught a sermon on this, actually, two Sundays ago. We, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that now, right now we're doing a series where we're looking at the five uh, solas of the Reformation, but before that we were studying verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. And before we took our break, we just finished Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 is one of those text that a lot of people have a lot of questions about because what it's saying is that a person who has come to know the Lord and then turns away that that person that there's no more uh, repentance for that person I kind of uh, explained what that means last week here's the long and short of it just to give you a quick answer I do not believe that you can lose your salvation in the sense of that it can you can lose it on accident, right? So that's kind of what the word lose implies. It implies that it was something that you didn't want to happen, and yet it happened anyway. And so that idea of losing your salvation, I, I don't think is a biblical one. As I mentioned to a caller earlier today, the very first caller, I mentioned to her in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, where Jesus says that he's the good shepherd, he knows his sheep, and he will not let the enemy pluck any of the sheep out of his hand. So I don't believe that salvation is something that you can lose in the sense of you're wanting to hold on, but you lost your grip and you lost your salvation. I think the thing to remember in those cases is that uh, Jesus has his grip on you if you are his, and he is not going to let you go. Now, what, what Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 does tell us is that there are many people who appear to be Christians, uh, but in reality, they are not. Um, they, they are people who fall away, and them falling away, I, I take to mean that they were never Christians to begin with, although they, from every outward appearance, look to be Christians. I mean, there's actually many examples of this in the Bible. One of the most poignant of them is actually found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says that on that day, meaning the last day, the day of judgment, there will be many who come to him and they will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these great things in your name. We cast out demons. We did many works in your name. And he'll say, be gone from me, you workers of evil, because I never knew you. And so the implication there is that there are people who believe that they're Christians and who from every outward appearance appear to be Christians, but the truth is that they are not. And you know, for me and you, we don't have those super special x-ray glasses that can see into the depths of someone's soul and see where they're at with God and if they're really a believer or not. You know, even in the, in the, for me talking to you, you know, I don't have that. But here's what I would tell you, that Jesus says that if you put your faith in him, if you put your trust in him, if you believe in him, which means to, to trust in him, to cling to him, to depend on him, to, to rely on him. If you do that and you put your faith in the gospel and the saving power of what Jesus did for you, that he is going to make you, number one, born again into a new creation. And number two, he's going to put his Holy Spirit as a seal within you. And here's why another problem I have with the whole concept of losing your salvation per se, you know, as in sense of like, accidentally happening and that is this that um, if you if you become a Christian and you are born again by the Spirit of God how do you get unborn again uh, you know how do you here's another you know if you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and seals you as a guarantee as a promise how do you get unsealed by the Holy Spirit how do you get unguaranteed 
Um, I don't think that that's just something that uh, happens very flippantly or on accident. And so that would, this is what I would tell you. But I will say this, on the other hand, the Bible gives no promise of security or hope or confidence to a person who is not uh, walking in Jesus and not continuing in faith and in these things. And so my advice for you would be this. Continue pursuing Jesus. Continue walking in faith. Continue clinging to him. And uh, I love the way that it's put in Philippians chapter 3. I think this is a great summary of what it means to be a Christian. I want to read it to you. I'm just going to look it up real quick. Philippians chapter 3. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, this is his definition of what a Christian is. A person who worships by the Spirit of God, who glories in Christ Jesus, and who puts no confidence in the flesh. So let me just sum that up for you. We're coming up right at the end of our show right now. Worshiping by the Spirit of God means more than just singing songs or saying words. To worship is a posture that you take before God. It's kneeling before God. It's bowing down. It means that you recognize Him as your Lord and you actively live with Him as your Lord. To glory in Christ Jesus means that you don't look to yourself, uh, but you look to Him and what He has done for you. You don't glory in anything that you do. You glory in what He did for you. And to put no confidence in the flesh, that means that you understand that you are a, uh, a person who has no reason to put confidence in your flesh apart from Jesus, that you are a sinful person who needs a Savior. So I would tell you to do those things. Don't put confidence in your own works, but glory in Christ Jesus and worship by the Spirit of God. And I would encourage you one last thing before we go as we come up on the end of the show. Don't fall into the sin of Adam of saying, you know, it's the woman that God gave me. She's the cause of all this. But rather, take ownership for that. Take ownership for your family and your faith. And I encourage you to lead well and glory in Christ Jesus. Thanks for calling. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. Check us out at whitefieldschurch.com. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.